Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. On this edition of our program, we'll be discussing the NCAA Office of Inclusion's annual diversity and inclusion social media campaign. I'll be joined by Dr. Yannick Klug. He is the Director of Inclusive Excellence at VCU. And from the Office of the NCAA Inclusion, Abigail Edwards and Solomon Siskin. Um, let's go around the room first, and then we're going to sort of peel back the onion, if you will, on a couple of these topics. Uh, let's first uh, start with you, Yannick, about uh, overall the importance of this campaign and really opening everyone's eyes that are not paying attention uh, to inclusion, diversity, uh, not just you know nationally, but certainly on individual campuses. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here with people I consider family, my NCAA inclusion family. So really excited to be here. Um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion are centered in everything that we do, working with athletes, working with staff, working with administrators, with, with coaches. I always say that if we are working with people, we are doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So this campaign really is a great opportunity to start having conversations, to continue conversations, thinking about how DE&I affect the student-athlete experience, how they create valuable experiences for our student-athletes from all backgrounds, especially those who historically have faced barriers to fulfillment, to belonging in the athletic space, and just using the campaign as a starting point to think about ways in which we can center DEI in athletics across the country. All right, so before we move on to, to some of these other topics, I want to just get, and I'll go Abigail, then Solomon. What does this campaign mean to you? Start off, Abigail. Thanks for that question, Andy, and it's great to be here. I just uh, emphasize what Yannick just said. I think this is an opportunity to start or continue to amplify a dialogue. I think a lot of times we talk about DEI or DEIB work without defining what those words mean. Diversity being more than just the identities we hold, but the places which we come from, the things and aspects that make up who we are, including our experiences. And I think when we talk about equity, it's to Yannick's point about barriers, the recognition that folks who come from historically minoritized or marginalized backgrounds face barriers to access and opportunities opportunity. And then we start to get to this place of inclusion and belonging, which to me are intentional actions and the byproduct of fostering diverse and inclusive spaces. Belonging is the sense that I am seen, I am valued, I am heard. And the purpose of this campaign is giving folks the platform to define what belonging is for them and how they can utilize the folks in their communities to be part of fostering those environments. Yeah, and I echo a lot of what Yannick and Abigail both said. Um, they share a lot of my viewpoints, but this is, the campaign is a great opportunity and is a great platform for schools to, you know, get engaged with DEI um, if they haven't already. And if they're looking for, you know, tangible action steps, this is a great platform for them to, you know, see how could they get involved through each of the three days um, and find what their own version of DEI looks like on their campus and how they can implement their own sort of action items. Solomon, I want to go back to you, your experience at UMass. Um, you, you wrote about this, that for the non-white football players, uh, there was a period of isolation 
of feeling alone and not knowing who to connect with or reach out to. Um, if you can just expand a little bit more about that experience, maybe for yourself, but also for others that you found in, in looking back and looking at this issue. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so in 2020, right before the pandemic, I got to attend the Black Student Athlete Summit in Austin, Texas. And from there, I, I was able to just really get words to what I was experiencing at UMass and what me and many of my black teammates at UMass um, were experiencing. And so I came back and really wanted to get a better grasp of, okay, I know what I'm going through, but what are the rest of the non-white student athletes going through here at UMass? And so from there, we uh, created an IRB approved research project and basically put together surveys with uh, quantitative and qualitative components to it getting the gist of what is going on here at a predominantly white institution. And so from there, that provided great data on, okay, this is what the non-white student athletes at your university are feeling. So what can you do about it? And then from there, we put on a call to action research fair. We brought the Black Student Athlete Summit to the Northeast region with the inaugural Northeast Black Student Athlete Summit. So I was able to take my experience and the experiences of my teammates, fellow student athletes, and then, uh, provide data to our athletics department and I'll, okay, here are tangible items and things that we want and feel that we need in our experience. Abigail, and this is just a coincidence that we've got two former student athletes from Western Massachusetts, um, but you know, Smith College and a lot of the schools in Western Mass have that same issue uh, of lack of diversity. What was your experience at Smith? Thanks, Andy. I think Smith was when I was able to name my experience more fully than I was before. I, my family and I immigrated to the United States when I was seven. And so I was born in India, born in Hyderabad, and I grew up in immigrant communities in New York. And so moving to Western Mass for college was a culture shift for me. It was the first time I was in a space where I didn't see as much diversity around me. I didn't see as many people who looked like me. And so being at Smith, I felt that I had to use my voice to tell my story in order to feel like I am a part of the community. And so that was when I really found my calling for diversity, equity, and inclusion work before I even knew what that was. It was started with my own advocacy and then really being intentional about providing a space for my fellow student athletes to talk about their experience and to be heard. I led our sports committee for inclusion and diversity from my junior year on to I until I graduated. And that space creating a organization and being part of that to give our student athletes a platform and a voice, a connection to our administration, an opportunity to engage in different projects like a social media campaign for our student athletes of color that I got to do at Smith. It feels like a full circle moment to be part of doing it at the national office in partnership with our minority opportunities and interest committee, as well as our national student athlete advisory committees. Yannick, you know, they bring up some great points, and we've talked about this many times on our show, uh, and I'm not breaking ground here. I mean, it is true that so often, uh, whether it's in the athletic space, in the boardroom, on the faculty, uh, there are plenty of times when, uh, you know, there's a lack of diversity, and you're the only person in that room. And look, it can be a whole 
you know, swath of things. It could be someone who's born in another country or from another country. Um, you know, so there's so many different issues at the campus level. Um, certainly at the faculty level, how are you tackling this or how are you seeing it being tackled? Uh, the, the issue of, you know, a, a real issue of the lack of diversity in a lot of these different spaces. Yeah, I think there's a, a bunch of different things. Um, you know, if you want to tackle these issues, you've got to put some resources to those issues, whether that's staff, whether that's money, whether that's space, you know, there has to be um, resources allocated to removing those barriers. You know, we are at a point in this country and globally really where we are getting more momentum to have discussions on racial justice, social justice, and within those, you know, DEI as elevating those efforts. We are already losing some of that momentum. And you can tell that the places who have dedicated resources, who have staff in place, who have um, commitment from leadership to those issues, that they are more successful in continuing to engage in, in these issues. It's really, you know, if we think about those issues, they really start at the top. You know, we don't have a lot of racial diversity. We don't have a lot of gender diversity at the top level of who is running campuses. And that's important to, you know, build the pipelines to diversify those spaces specifically in terms of race and gender, because those are two of the only items of identity, identity groups that we can um, track legally in the United States. So, um, you know, it really starts with allocating resources. It starts with being strategic and intentional in diversifying leadership. And that will trickle down to all levels of campus from the athletes to the coaches to the administrators in between. Um, so it really is about being intentional, being strategic, and putting your money where your mouth is to remove some of those barriers to DEI. One more thing before we get to the specific days, and I want to get Solomon and Abigail on this. You mentioned 2020, Solomon. And I, I remember specifically doing shows in this platform and, and other aspects of the NCAA where coaches would say for the first time in this post-George Floyd sum that summer where they would have these Zoom meetings because obviously we weren't in person and they would hear their student athletes, especially those of color, um, discuss what has happened to them, what they're feeling. And I had a number of coaches tell me that for the first time, it wasn't just they were hearing it. They were actually listening and hoping that, and I'm hoping that it has continued, but those conversations would then go forward. Um, what do you remember of that summer and beyond, uh, you know, 2020 and, and where we are in those kind of conversations where the coaches are actually listening to their student athletes and what they go through on and off campus? Yeah, I, I had a similar experience that summer of 2020 around the murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, me and some of my teammates were, we didn't really have a space to uh, get together and just talk about what was on our shoulders. We had heavy feelings on our shoulders. And so we reached out to our head coach, said, hey, this is what we're feeling right now. Can we talk about it as a team? And so within the next two days, you know, our head coach got every single member of the staff and every student athlete together to put together one of these Zoom calls where we spoke about what was going on in the country, what it meant from our perspective as black student athletes here at UMass and just in America as a whole. And so from there, like you said, it felt like for us, it was one of the first times our head coach or our coaches were actually listening to us. Like the staff could hear us, we were being seen, we were being heard, we were being valued for our experience as black student athletes, but greater than that, just as black people in America. And so 
we had all of our white student athletes on the call too, white football players, and they were also hearing us, seeing us. But it was also the other way around too. We were having a healthy dialogue about what was going on in the country. So while we were sharing what was going on in our lives, we also wanted to hear their perspectives and hear their questions about how could they support us? How could they be allies in this process? And so it was a really great experience. And I think it pushed a lot of, you know, our healthy dialogues that happen in the future around social justice, activism. After that, we uh, were able to promote voter registration on the team and talk about why this is important and related back to those conversations we had earlier in the summer. Abigail? Yeah, I just echo Solomon. I started my postgraduate internship in the summer of 2020. And so being at the NCAA and watching our membership request resources around racial justice and social justice at a greater volume than ever before, I was really grateful to be part of our team supporting our membership um, with various presentations and engagements, the resources that were created. During that time, we partnered with different consultants and we actually put together resources around student athlete activism and we work closely with Yannick on that as well to support student athletes in using their voices and using their platforms to advocate for change. I think one thing I think a lot about now is how those conversations have tapered and how we continue to bring to the forefront this focus on racial and social justice as part of a larger umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. First of all, I love the fact that all this was going on that I, I, I really feel like so many of these conversations we're having that so many in the greater membership are unaware. And so I love that we're having this platform to discuss this and hoping more and more people get it and take advantage of these opportunities that we have, uh, you know, sort of coming out of Indianapolis. All right, let's go to each day here. Um, let's start with day one, Yannick, exploring my identities. Tell us what you think that is and how that can uh, be sort of spread throughout social media during this campaign. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, we have done this campaign for a couple of years now. Actually, this used to be my first project working at the NCAA in 2018. So this is definitely a full circle moment for me. Um, but every year when we do this campaign, we always have a day that's focused on introspection and reflecting on the various identities pieces that make us who we are. And that is so important in DEI work to, you know, see who is in the room and then maybe more importantly, who isn't and why. Um, so when I think about, you know, these themes of um, exploring my identities, one of the key challenges that athletes specifically face is that they're oftentimes reduced to their athletic identity, you know, and there is this whole idea of being more than an athlete. And I think that is what exploring my identities is, is about to explore the various ways who we are beyond the playing field. Obviously, as student athletes, being an athlete, you can ask most athletes, being an athlete is a huge piece of their identity, but it's only one piece. And as Solomon mentioned that, you know, once you leave practice, there are certain identities that you can turn off. You can, you know, take off your skin color. You can turn off um, who you love, your sexuality. Um, so we, we have to, as athletic departments, we have to do a better job at helping athletes um, live those identities and explore those identities and make sure that they know that those pieces of the identity are just as welcome as their athletic selves. So to me, that's really what that first day is about to 
explore who we are, not just on the playing field, but beyond who we are in terms of our race, ethnicity, nationality, sexuality, gender identity, religion, and the various other social and cultural backgrounds that we bring to the table and that make our place better because of those. Abigail, how much do you think NIL can help expand that identity to show the full person uh, if you're with the right you know, entity that's going to help you to do that? That's a great question. I think around this concept, it's autonomy for student athletes as full individuals to take advantage of certain opportunities to amplify their platform. I think that's what's really exciting. The fact that our student athletes are have the ability now in a different way to share who they are and grow their reach and engagement as well. And I think it again goes to this idea of how do we be intentional about the folks we're involving in our spaces. For example, I know there have been some efforts to highlight women identifying student athletes through NIL efforts. And that's another opportunity to think about things through this identity lens and to think about the folks who may not be in the room or who may not have the same access and lift them up. And so that's what's really, really exciting. Uh, how do you see it, Solomon? Yeah, um, you know, for me, I really like day one in uh, this idea of intersectionality and thinking about the interconnected nature of social categorizations with race, class, regard to gender. Um, and so we think about it with our student athletes and those who are teaching them and leading them and how each of us hold these multiple identities, uh, similar to what Yannick was saying and how Abigail touched on a little bit as well. And so I, one perfect example of this is with day one, one of our activities is we have an activity wheel that perfectly uh, in, in a circle lays out, okay, what are your different identities in relation to this? What is your identity in regards to race, ethnicity, your religion or spiritual affiliation? So it allows you to think deeper about, okay, how do I identify as myself? And then how can I bring that into these different spaces and in my own conversations, whether it's at work, whether it's with family in my personal relationships and just life in general. And so it asks us to question, you know, what are our identities and how can we move forward through a DEI lens? You know, I'll, I'll say this, Alman, that um, I think it's, and this is a larger issue, but I think it's unfair that, um, you know, when it comes to how you define, not you personally, but you define yourself, may not meet the governmental definition, which can literally be two choices. Uh, and, you know, sort of everyone else is under this other umbrella of being white. Uh, so, you know, that's a whole nother issue, but I think it also gets to the point that this is a great day to explore your own identity, regardless of how some governmental agency tries to define you. Let's go to day two. Uh, allyship, uh, Yannick, this is critical. Um, you know, tell me how this is defined in terms of how people can be allies. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think this is one of the most important questions that we have kind of lived through over the past uh, three years since the murder of George Floyd um, and other black and brown Americans at the hand of law enforcement. Um, you know, to me, What's unique about this current moment, and this is why this campaign is happening at this point in time with these themes, is that we are drawing in more people with privileged identities to have those conversations. And that's people that look like me, like other white people who are finally open to have some of those conversations. Where, as you mentioned, you know, before 
it just wasn't on their radar. And that was part of the privilege that they brought to, to the table. So I think this is an excellent time to be talking about allyship and that is specifically for those holding privileged identities because they have the power to be an ally. No social justice movement will be successful without at least some buy-in of privileged allies. So allyship to me means using the resources that you have to advance the interests, the needs of minoritized groups. Um, and more recently, that kind of moves beyond just the individual allyship. So thinking about like everyday situations where you do like bystand intervention, you see somebody being targeted and you step in, that's very important. But I think we're at a point where we are moving more towards institutional allyship, thinking about how can we create spaces where we can make sure that those who are pushed to the margins can succeed and be um, you know, taken off those margins. Um, so how can we create environments where we can um, promote cultures of belonging for those groups, remove those barriers? And that can be through you know, some of the student groups that Solomon and Abigail mentioned. That's a great way to be an institutional ally, to give space, to give resources to minoritized groups. But there's also a whole bunch of other strategies that you can engage in to demonstrate your institutional allyship. And some of those outlined in the resources that Arabica mentioned that I had the pleasure of working on. So um, to me, that's what allyship is about, using the, your institutional power to create spaces where minoritized groups can belong and flourish in the space. Abigail and Solomon, so piggyback off of Abigail, if you can, Solomon, uh, how would you like to see this tangibly done uh, on campuses, the uh, issue of allyship? So I, I think it starts with having the conversation and defining what allyship looks to each uh, individual person and I think even on your teams what does it look like for each of your teammates and how can you show up every single day with them it's being active and it's a constant it's a consistent action um, you're constantly unlearning and learning and really it's just you know for example uh, you know you can go around your team on, on day two you can go around your team and ask to share the personal definitions or you can bring together staff and you know share publicly what allyship means to you get um show some sort of support from your athletics department have your ad your ad have your swa come together and share how they can be allies to their student athletes to their colleagues whatever that looks like to them that's great and i i really love that solomon continues to highlight the activities that we have on our social media campaign webpage. so if folks are thinking about engaging and they don't know where to start we've listed several resources and activities activations people can utilize for each day. And so I think when we talk about allyship, for me, it, it begins with reflection. The activity Solomon mentioned about our social identity wheel, one of the questions is what identities do we think about the least? And so that is that entry point because sometimes the identities we think about the least are the identities in which we hold the most privilege. For me, as someone who has immigrated to this country, I speak English well for someone who has spent a majority of my life here. And I know that this is a space in which I can serve as an ally, not only to my family, but to other folks who may have a similar background as me. And so I think that's that pathway of one, reflecting on where do I hold privilege? Where do I hold power? And then how do I utilize my identities where I hold privilege and power to make an impact and to lift up folks who might not 
hold the same privileged identity as me, who may come from a historically marginalized or minoritized space. The other piece that I think is really important to think about as we talk about allyship is the fact that ally is a verb, not a noun. It is an intentional practice that occurs every single day. We choose to show up as allies every day. And allyship looks different to me in the way that it looks to Yannick, in the way that it looks to Solomon, in the way that it might look to you, Andy. And so it's really important to foster these relationships in team settings and interpersonal relationships where we can have honest dialogue and we can define what does it mean for me to feel seen by you in this dynamic, in this relationship, on this team, and within this department. So day Andy, three, strength. Oh, go ahead, Yannick. Just piggyback off of what Abby said, um, just to wrap up the allyship piece. One of the things that we, that I encounter sometimes is that you know, ally is not a title that you give yourself. Like ally is, you know, somebody from a minoritized group saying, hey, what you're doing is really helping. So I think it's really important to keep that in mind too, that um, as Abby, Abigail said, it's a verb, um, but you don't get to call yourself an ally. It's, you know, your behaviors, your actions that you choose every day that demonstrate that commitment. And as a good ally, you want to listen to the groups that you're trying to support. And whose barriers you're trying to deconstruct. And that's what, what makes a good good ally. You're kind of the background singer, you know, but well, that's fine. I mean, here's the deal. As Abigail said, it's active. It is not, hey, I was an ally, check. You know, I mean, it's something that has to be consistent uh, and part of your sort of your daily life. All right, day three, strength and unity. And it is crazy to me. Uh, it is so basic that athletics, high school, college, pro, you name it, uh, we're always, for the most part, together. The fans back the team, uh, and it is this unifying force. Leave the field to play, and a lot changes. Uh, you may not have that jersey on, and here's a fan that was cheering you 10 minutes ago, but you were wearing a helmet. They don't know who you are, and now suddenly you're judged differently. Yet you're supposed to be all on the same team. So, how do we get to that point of emphasizing strength in unity, not just during competition, but in our daily lives? It's a big question, I know, but you, you tackle it first, Solomon. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of you know what this campaign does is it gives us the platform to continue to have these conversations and to shine light on what needs to be done. And so I think that's the starting point. If you're not willing to have the healthy dialogue, the, you know, the critical dialogue, then, you know, what are we doing? And so I think you have to start there if you really want to make any progress. We have to get a baseline of what someone else feels like or what your opinions are on, you know, what is going on in your space, in your community. And I think that is the beginning point. Abigail? Definitely. And I think each of these themes build on each other. And when we start with this introspection, this ability to talk about who we are, we talk about how we bring our allies along with us, how we become better allies. 
And so the strength and unity in my eyes is a culmination of my introspection and reflection, the allies around me and how we commit to moving forward together to champion change. And so a lot of the activities for this day are around talking about team culture, talking about brave conversations, thinking about what happens after these three days. What happens after the campaign? We have a week of, of education and awareness, but how do we integrate diversity, equity, and inclusion into all that we do? And how do we bring all of the folks in our communities along with us? So one of the things about this campaign that's really neat from my perspective is that it's not only focused on student athletes. We want coaches and administrators to engage. We want fans to tell their story. We want the senior woman administrator and the athletic diversity and inclusion designee to talk about their identities, to talk about their allyship. And so this last day for me is a celebration and a commitment to how we move forward. Well, and it gets to the point, Yannick, where, uh, look, if you are supporting the student athlete, you're supporting the whole person. You may not agree with every political view and, you know, everything, and that's fine, but you should respect it. And, uh, you know, that should be part of this unity. We're not part... We're, None of these student athletes are robots, coaches. We're not at some AI futuristic world yet. So I want, I want you to sort of put a bow on this for me here on day three. And Abigail did a great job of looking what happens after. But what do you need to see in the strength and unity uh, that you hope comes out of a day like this? Yeah, I mean, they did a great job. Um, I think for me, strength and unity means unified towards progress, you know, specific progress when it comes to DEI. Uh, and for me, that includes, you know, specific institutional actions that we can take to demonstrate that we are united in our fight for, you know, removing barriers to DEI. So some of the strategies that are outlined um, in the on the campaign website actually ask folks to identify specific actions they can take to help remove those barriers to show that we are all in this together in this fight for diversity, inclusion, equity and social justice on our campuses and in the membership. So for me, that's really what strength and unity means, being unified in removing those barriers and identifying specific actions to some of the activities that we have shared um, on the website in that regard. All right, before we get out of here, Abigail, for those that are tuning in, uh, where are they going to see all of this happening uh, over these three days? we hope that it will be everywhere. And so we've created these resources and we're working with our great colleagues in communications to expand our reach. So while we will utilize Twitter as we have in years past, we'll also utilize Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok. And so we really wanna see this campaign everywhere. And so part of our purpose behind having this social series is to have a touch point with the membership and fans and everyone who might be watching and encourage them to post and engage with us using the hashtag NCAA inclusion for those three days of the campaign. That's what I was waiting for, right there. Pop it right there, a little period at the end. Hashtag NCAA inclusion. All right, this was great. Uh, another great conversation here on our social series. I really appreciate Abigail Yannick and, and Solomon and all your insight onto this topic and more to come. Uh, as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. And as Abigail just said, look, we got some great topics out there. If you want to bring one to us, 
let us know. We got a great team uh, based in Indianapolis. We will tackle these topics and delve into them uh, really every week throughout the course of the year. So as always, appreciate everyone tuning in. Thanks for watching.